Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Josh Noble and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the global news stories that matter. Britain's best-known fund manager, Neil Woodford, is struggling to save his business after he was forced to freeze his flagship fund because it could not meet withdrawal demands from investors. Patrick Jenkins discusses what went wrong and who will be affected with Caroline Binham and Kate Bearley. As difficult a decision as this is, and, and, and clearly frustrating for you, our investors, we felt that this was necessary to protect your interests. The situation that we confronted was that we were seeing a lot of outflow in the portfolio. As a result of that increased level of redemptions, what we were seeing was the stock market, in a way, anticipating the fact that we would have to be sellers of stocks to meet those redemptions. And we felt the prices that we would be able to achieve in order to meet those redemptions would be disadvantageous for our investors. So fund suspension means that there is no inflow or outflow into the Woodford Equity Income Fund. But fundamentally, the strategy remains the same. Investors' money is preserved in the assets in which we've invested, and the portfolio continues to work for our investors. That was Neil Woodford explaining on YouTube why he had taken the decision to freeze his flagship fund. This was before the latest blow when one of his main clients terminated its relationship with him. Kate, it's a pretty big issue this, isn't it? He hasn't got many funds and the prime focus of everyone's attention has been his main equity fund. Tell us how broadly people should be worried. Um, Yes, so the major issue has been with the equity fund, or that is the one that has been gated after this major issue with liquidity, so how easily things can be bought or sold. But he does have an income focus fund, which has been suffering major outflows over the past few days, and he has a patient capital investment trust as well, and shares have been falling really rapidly on that. And that's now the way that investment trusts work. You trade at a discount to the net asset value. I think that's more than 25%. So what's happened? I mean, Neil Woodford was, not that long ago, a darling of the city and of retail investors. He was a star stock picker. What's gone so horribly wrong so fast? Yeah, I mean, when he was at Invesco, he was a real celebrity and he became famous for getting these really major calls right. So that included some big contrarian calls on things like avoiding tech before the dot-com bubble burst and avoiding banks, which meant that he was one of the few people to come out of the financial crisis unscathed. And he ended up managing around £25 at Invesco. But then he set out on his own. He launched Woodford Investment Management and things started to go a bit sour. So this was five years ago. He did start actually very well for the first 12 months at least. He did, yes. And particularly with the other funds as well, the investment trust launch was the most successful ever at the time, raised the most money. So he did start on a really good trajectory for the first few years. But then the past few years have been really, really poor. It's a mixture of things that he's taken these very big bets on companies which he thinks are undervalued in the UK as a result of Brexit negativity, basically. And I suppose the longer Brexit has dragged on without a solution, the more uncertain those investment bets have been. Yeah, exactly. And at the same time, he has been investing in some early stage illiquid stocks, which are very hard to sell. So it's a terrible combination of the fact that he's been forced to sell these large liquid stocks that have been performing very, very badly. And that's left his portfolio too full of illiquid investments, which has left him kind of butting up against this regulatory cap of 10% in unlisted stocks. So he's kind of run out of time, basically. Another thing that some people who are fans of his say has acted against him 
is some of the good things that he tried to do. He tried to be relatively cheap as an active manager, but he also pioneered greater transparency in the industry, didn't he? And this seems to have come back to haunt him in the sense that everybody knows exactly what he holds. Everybody, now that they know he's a kind of forced seller, as a lot of his investors are trying to get out, he needs to sell the underlying assets quickly. So the market response to those stocks is to push down the prices and make him unable to sell, really, at anything like a decent price. Yeah, it's true that he was really innovative in being one of the first, or the first, I think, fund manager to lay out exactly what he invested in. Before, that was always seen as a kind of secret source. Managers are very secretive about what they held in the fund, and as a result, there was less accountability on them. But now he is in a situation, as you say, where he's trying to sell some of these stocks. Everybody knows what he's trying to sell, and he's left in a pretty terrible position. And similarly, I think he would say that he has really tried to invest or back early-stage British businesses you know, in a kind of venture capital way that we just don't see very much in the UK. We see a lot of our early stage companies, biotech companies leaving or, you know, not being successfully incubated. But it's now those stocks that he's left with major chunks in. And that's a massive headache. Absolutely. Let me bring in Caroline here because there have been questions raised around the regulatory response to, well, I suppose, the type of investment strategy that he had in the first place and whether it was in compliance with regulation, but more particularly with what has happened over the last few days since the extremity of the problems have become clear. Caroline, what are regulators actually saying now? Well, unusually for the FCA, they came out with quite a detailed statement earlier this week about what was happening and to address a few sort of misunderstandings that had been going on. They are definitely in close discussions with the firm that much we know, as one would expect. But according to sources that I've spoken to, I understand that they are examining this particular manoeuvre that Mr Woodford deployed, which was to list companies or assets in which he had large stakes on the Guernsey Stock Exchange to get over this 10% cap. The 10% cap is derived from European Union rules known as USIT, and it essentially stops fund managers holding more than 10% in unlisted securities. Yeah, and they've alluded to that, I think, in their statement without giving any details. Yeah, so I think what this episode has really revealed is that there was real gaps in the regulatory architecture and three different regulatory bodies weren't really talking to one another. So you have the fund itself that's regulated by the UK FCA and then the decision to list certain stocks in Guernsey. The Guernsey local regulator told me that actually they operate a delegated model whereby the International Stock Exchange or TIES is the market listing authority that approves listing. And ties itself wasn't talking to the FCA. So the FCA under the rules didn't have to be told ahead of time that this was Woodford's strategy. And it added that it wouldn't necessarily expect to be. There was nothing stipulating that the fund had to get approval from the FCA ahead of time. So my understanding is that when they became aware of this particular technique, they were pretty unhappy about it and called the fund in for pretty urgent high-level discussions. And when did that happen, do we know? About six weeks ago. So it has all spiralled in a relatively short space of time. Yeah, and I think the problem for the regulator is that it's obviously curtailed in what it can say publicly because it doesn't want to spook the market. It doesn't want to cause the precise situation that has occurred, which is essentially a run on the fund. Absolutely. Is it going to be under more pressure to do more either in this particular case or more broadly across the industry as a result, for example, of political involvement? 
Well, we know that the Treasury Select Committee is already interested in this particular episode. Nikki Morgan, who chairs that Select Committee, which is particularly powerful and obviously the FCA is accountable to it, has said that it will study the episode as to whether there are any lessons to be learned from it. So no doubt there's political scrutiny and there have been calls that perhaps this 10% cap is too generous, that maybe it needs to be narrowed further. But obviously, because it's a usage rule that's done on a European Union level, that would have to be done at a commission level, not by the UK itself. At least until after Brexit. Let me bring Kate back in to conclude on who's the big loser here. Clearly, Mr Woodford's reputation is shot to pieces, rather. There's a lot of predictions that it would be very unlikely to be able to come back from this. But has he actually lost personally out of it? Woodford has gained fairly substantially over the time that he has been managing the fund. I mean, he still earns management fees on these funds of 0.5%. And obviously, with the billions under management, that equates to quite a lot of money. Last year, Woodford Capital, the company controlled by him and his business partner, received a dividend of £36.5 So, you know, he has earned quite significantly from this, but in reputation terms, yeah, he's lost out. Yeah. And what about investors, the pension funds, obviously, that make up quite a lot of Mr. Woodford's backers, but also the army of private investors that are invested in either the fund that has been gated, suspended for redemptions for the short term, at least, or any of the other funds. Yeah, I mean, this was a hugely, hugely popular fund among retail investors. Hargreaves Lansdowne, the FTSE 100 broker that most DIY or 40% of DIY customers use to buy and sell investments. That accounted for £2 billion of the £10 billion under management at the end of March. So you can see that this was a hugely popular fund for the everyday investor. And this is potentially a trust issue there as well. This is a real fall from grace among investors who really treated him as a kind of cult of personality. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose a final thought, maybe from both of you, as to what broader ramifications this might hold. Clearly, Mr Woodford himself was slightly out on his own in terms of the type of investment management that he was doing, both in a good way. He was trying to promote transparency. He was being a bold backer of British business and so on, but also arguably taking more risks with concentration in the portfolio and unlisted investments and so on. Are there any reads across, if you like, to the broader sector, do you think, and what people should watch out for as investors? I do think that there are going to be ramifications here for how much people trust their investment platforms, like Hargreaves Lansdowne, for example. There hasn't been much focus by the regulator on things like best buy lists, which platforms use to recommend funds. Um, Hargreaves has its own favourite funds list, which Woodford has been repeatedly included on. And people have asked some questions about why that is and whether this will have an impact now on the information that or how people receive the information from these platforms, which are a vital part of the ecosystem. And I also think coming on top of the property fund issues that we had in the wake of the Brexit referendum, there might be some questions asked about what is suitable to be put in an open-ended fund. There is a problem here that some of these funds are investing in completely illiquid things, but then giving daily liquidity or promising daily liquidity to investors. So whether there is a wider blowback as a result of that, I think, is something to be looked at. Yeah, Caroline? Well, I think stepping back even further, Neil Woodford emulated himself on Warren Buffett. He was called sometimes the Oracle of Oxford as such. And like Buffett, he has suffered some pretty poor stock picking choices of late. And so the wider question is actually, as investors, would you just be better off putting your money into a tracker fund rather than letting a stock picker do it for you? Would you actually see a better rate of return? And the answer is probably yes. 
I suppose, at least from Warren Buffett's point of view, his reputation has survived some of the little bumps along the road. And I guess the sheer scale of his operation means that his reputation as the Oracle of Omaha has been pretty well protected. Not the case, unfortunately, for Neil Woodford. Thank you both very much. That was Patrick Jenkins, FT Financial Editor, talking to Caroline Bidham, Financial Regulation Correspondent, and Kate Bearley, FT Money Reporter. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the return of Peronism in Argentina, Brazil's expanding role in cosmetics, or the return of race science, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.